you're looking for a good spring read, something sort of quick, it only takes a couple hours to read the whole thing, I'd highly recommend a sort of short novel by Mark Salzman called Lying Awake. The main character is a cloistered nun who lives in modern-day Los Angeles, meaning she lives in near-total silence. There's a recreation period, 45 minutes a day, when she's allowed to speak. The rest of the time, the nuns communicate using hand signals. No television, no newspapers, no radios, only a rare visitor that you see through a sort of grill. And over the course of the novel, you learn that she chose this life willingly and joyfully. She had an emotionally sort of barren childhood, and the great joy in her life were those moments of silent communion with God. That was what kept her going. And so when she was given the opportunity to choose a life of seeking those moments, she chose it happily. But once she entered the convent, she found that she had entered a sort of desert place. She didn't find joy in that sense of communion in prayer. She felt cut off from God. She began to have doubts about whether or not God existed, whether or not God loved her. And then things began to change. She started getting severe blinding headaches that were quickly followed by visionary experiences of the love of God. She says that she, it was as if she became all perception and all that she could perceive was God's love everywhere, like she was an ember floating up from the fire into the heart of God. And she began to write about these visions and her poetry brought some fame to her personally, more attention to the convent, began to cause conflict between the sisters, who eventually required her to go see a doctor. Turned out, and this is all early on in the novel, turned out, I'm not giving it away, that, um, that she had a form of epilepsy caused by a tumor. She could have surgery, she would end the disruption to her community and her horrible headaches, but she would also end these tremendously sustaining experiences of mystical communion with God. And she would again be in that place of doubt and uncertainty. I won't tell you what she decides because that's the bulk of the book, but I highly recommend it. Because the rest of the book becomes this sort of meditation on what it means to live a normal Christian life the life that most of us lead as Christians, which is a life that's characterized by some doubt and some uncertainty. A life in which we are struggling to figure out how to live lives of deep faith even when we don't always feel that faith. There's evidence that the disciples had faith like that. The earliest Christians had faith like that. Doubt is a part of human experience. Of course, we can have real and powerful experiences of the living God. God is just as real today as God was 2,000 years ago when today's gospel was written. But our experience will always be different than the experience of those that Chuck read about in the gospels. We don't experience Jesus as a living human being. We might have brushes with the divine, moments 
when we're sure of God's presence. But more often we see, as St. Paul says, through a glass darkly, through a clouded lens. Our knowledge of who God is and what God wants is tentative. Our faith sometimes feels tentative. And like that novel so beautifully describes, being a Christian requires a passionate seeking of God in the midst of a complicated and ambiguous world. And because the world is complicated and ambiguous, we live with questions. And today's gospel can be read as sort of a response to those questions. Another meditation on how to live a life of faith in the midst of uncertainty. In this reading from Luke's gospel, Jesus is standing right in front of the disciples. They can see him. They can reach out and touch him. Surely it shouldn't be that hard for them to believe that he is resurrected, that he's real. But Luke tells us that still they doubt. And he's so gentle and generous in reassuring them. He invites them to look at him and touch him. He shows them his wounds from the crucifixion. And he eats in front of them, trying to prove that his body is real and human, that he isn't a ghost or some strange vision. And after all this, Luke says that the disciples were overjoyed, but even after all that, at the same time, they were still wondering and disbelieving. And I wonder if Jesus' reaction to the disciples' doubt is meant to show us how God reacts to our own doubts today. Jesus isn't shocked. He's not upset that the disciples have trouble believing. He's patient. He reassures them. He refers to their senses, the scripture. If Jesus was this loving and patient with people who got to see him face to face, how much more patient is he with us, with those of us who try to see, try to believe without seeing? The story is meant to reassure us to remind us that God doesn't blame us for struggling, and that just as we're seeking God, God is also seeking us. The text also reminds us that part of our work as Christians is coming to see doubt and uncertainty as normal parts of the Christian faith. For cloistered nuns who are called to pray all day, every day for the world, and for those of us who pray and live and have faith in the midst of very ordinary lives. Jesus' patient response to the disciples reminds us that God isn't surprised or disappointed by our questions. Jesus instead invites us to face our questions honestly, without judging ourselves or blaming God. And he invites us to trust that over time, all that we need to know will be revealed. You'll also notice that even before the the disciples' doubts had been resolved, Jesus gives them a job to do. They're still questioning when he starts to tell them about their next project. He says to them, you are the first witnesses to the resurrection of the Messiah, and the word is going to spread from you here in Jerusalem to all the nations. The disciples haven't even decided whether or not they believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and Jesus sends them out to spread the news. In the next verses, he promises them that the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon them and equip them For the task that he's given. He doesn't say. You can only join in my mission. If you believe everything I've ever said. Without question. 
He doesn't say, sit here and wait until you figured everything out for sure and then join in. Instead, he promises them that it's in the midst of following him, after they start on this mission, that they'll be given what they need to go forward. I think this is one of those moments in scripture where Jesus is sort of speaking over the disciples' heads directly to us today. So often we think that if we're in one of those places of doubt and uncertainty, the thing to do is to sort of pull back from our spiritual life. We think that in order to have integrity, we need to stop praying or coming to church and to wait until we figure it out all on our own and then to come back again. And I think Jesus is telling us that we've got it backwards. It's only by joining in God's mission that we come to have faith. We don't figure things out and then act. It's in the context of acting that we come to figure things out. Jesus knows that the disciples are uncertain. He knows that they have doubts. But he also knows knows that they have what they need in order to take the next step. And it's when they take the next step that their faith grows, that those doubts and uncertainties, while always present, sort of fade in importance. If we wait until we're certain to move forward in faith, to make any kind of commitment, we'll never do anything. Christianity is meant to be lived, not just considered. And it's the kind of thing where its truth becomes evident only as we try living it out amongst other people who are trying to do the same thing. We doubt and question all the way. It's part of life. The disciples certainly did. But it's only through taking that leap and trying to follow Jesus that we find out that there is actually ground under our feet, that we can indeed trust God, and that faith is in fact real. Will we ever have all the certainty we want? Absolutely not. I have a a running list of questions, some of them a little bit angry, that I would love to ask God. Do we still doubt as Christians? Absolutely. But we have everything we need in order to take the next step. And it's in taking that next step that we find that we have more faith.